You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, we would look upon your word and that we might by your spirit uh, apprehend and comprehend what it is that you're doing and, and, and saying to us. And so, Lord, uh, we give ourselves over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so this is our, our final class in, in Exodus, and it uh, wasn't that convenient, uh, convenient time uh, to be able to wrap this up. And uh, you'll remember that as we've been walking through Exodus, uh, that Exodus is God's picture book of redemption. It really is the template for how God redeems his people, not just the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, uh, but in fact, uh, how God redeems us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament is full of shadows and signs and types that are meant to point us toward Jesus. And the fact that God will stop at nothing uh, in order to redeem his people that he loves. So we see that very early on in the book of Exodus when it begins with, and then there came a Pharaoh who had forgotten who Joseph was. And you remember Joseph, uh, the, the great prime minister of Egypt, who his brothers had thrown into a well, um, and um, uh, well, they were sold into slavery in Egypt, and um, a great famine hit the land, and it was because of Joseph that his brothers were able to get some food and that beautiful reconciliation that happened and uh, Joseph's great uh, uh, divine word uh, of what you meant for ill, God worked for the good, right, for, for such a time as this. And so that was really why the Israelites were in Israel, but then they were put into slavery and bondage. And this Pharaoh had a real grudge against the Israelites because they were getting numerous. Uh, they were a threat. Uh, even though they had been there for such a long time, they were seen as outsiders. And so they were put into bondage. And you remember, he tried to kill off the Hebrew children. And so Moses' mother made a reed basket and placed it in uh, the River Nile. And Moses' sister Miriam followed the basket down until it flowed into a little pool. And who was there bathing? Right? Daughter Pharaoh. And so Moses was brought up in uh, the, the household of Pharaoh and... All of that was God's forming Moses into the man who would lead his people of Israel out of bondage. And we know that Mo Moses was a flawed man. Uh, he was a murderer. He was impetuous. Uh, he uh, was uh, self-confident in all the wrong ways and uh, was timid in all the wrong ways. Uh, he would often get things reversed and forgot who it was that was... Uh, working through him and who it was that he was serving. And so Moses uh, led the people of Israel out of Egypt and uh, through the Red Sea where God swallowed up Pharaoh's armies and they walked through on dry land. And then he provided water and manna and quail from heaven. Uh, just an amazing story. And then God makes a covenant with his people at Sinai, uh, an everlasting covenant with these people. And we get to chapter 32, where on the heels of this beautiful covenant that God makes with his people, his people rebel. 
Uh, and that's, that's just like us to do that. It's very easy to look at the book of Exodus and think, oh, those silly Israelites, uh, when it's our story. Uh, it's our story as well. And so against the background of God's grace in making the covenant is God's people's sin in breaking the covenant. So I'm going to read the entirety of uh, chapter 32. Uh, one, because I, I don't know why nobody has made the Bible into a movie. A series of, you could have hundreds and hundreds of really great movies. Um, this would be one of those that your children would not be allowed to see. Right? But I'm going to read it. It's, it's great. It's great drama. And if you're a 10-year-old boy, I think you're going to kind of like it. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you." But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn aside from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people." Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from this disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on its tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory. Or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. 
And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, that's a great phrase, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go. Lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. This is the word of the Lord. Man, what an intense story. (laughs) Um, And it is kind of funny in some places, isn't it? you know, Aaron saying, you know, I took the jewelry and threw it in, poof, out came this calf. Uh, and uh, there, there's so much going on here, but the reason why I was getting choked up is it is remarkable how able we are to turn our backs on God when he's come so near to us. And I'm going to get to it at the end, but when we get to the slaying of the brothers and the companions and the neighbors, and Moses' words of, if, if it would help, Lord, just blot me out of the book. What it cost to redeem God's people. 
So God's come near. Remember we talked last week about the tabernacle and God is coming near and he's showing up at a pillar and, and people can see God's tangible presence and now he's gone up on Sinai and, and there's thunder and there's a great cloud and Moses has gone up there. God has come near in order that his people might know him. And all the while, God's people were breaking the covenant and trampling underfoot the blood that was sprinkled upon them. If you read last week that part about the tabernacle and all that, that God's people had been washed in, his, in the blood, they've been consecrated to God, and all the while their hearts were very far from him. Now, chapter 32 tells us the reasons why they rebelled. Does anyone remember what, what they said to Aaron, why they decided to rebel? Moses abandoned us. Uh, he's gone up on the mountain. He's gone on, on retreat. You know, I've got a brother who said, hey, I'm going to go uh, backpacking out west for a while. And after a while, we're like, man, he's dead. <laughs> you know, he, uh, who, and then he just showed up one day. Uh, and even though he's gone to do a holy thing, uh, there's been a lot of complaining amongst the Israelites. And maybe that got to Moses. Maybe Moses, as he said, this is a stiff-necked people. I, I'm, I'm moving out of here. I'm leaving them. I'm not putting up with this anymore. Uh, I, I've got better things to do. And from the Israelites' perspective, you know, beginning to realize that even God's man in this situation, he has feet of clay too. That they can understand why he might bolt and run from them. But we see that there's a real discrepancy between the reasons and the true motivation as to why they rebelled. They were trying to put it on Moses. They were trying to blame Moses. If Moses would just come back, if he'd shoot us an email or a postcard, then maybe uh, we would be okay. But they're just using that as cover uh, for their rebellion. And a spirit of cynicism and backsliding had set into God's people. And of course, they laid the blame on Moses But all of this is a sign that something spiritually was amiss amongst the Israelites. There's no conjecture. It's plain. They wanted a God that they could see and follow. They wanted a God that they could control. And did you notice that in here that they they try to sanctify it? Because even after they make the golden calf, and the next day they offered up burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, uh, what, did, what did Aaron proclaim? Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. It was a representation of God. They were trying to justify it by saying, well, this is the God that brought us up out of Egypt. This is what he looks like. This is the domesticated uh, version of him. And of course, they'd come from Egypt where there was plenty of this going on. I mean, I, I always get really excited uh, reading National Geographic when they crack open some pharaoh's tomb and just the, the beautiful drawings and the hieroglyphs on the walls and, and all that. And what's, what do they always discover? Idols, right? You, you see Anubis and and Osiris and Isis and on the walls and, and in idol form. 
uh, made out of gold. Uh, That's what they had come from. They were used to that. They knew all about that. And all around them, they've already come up against the uh, the Malachites, and, and they had false gods too. So in one, in one way they say, well, this is really the Lord our God, but really what they're saying is, we don't want to be different. We want to be like everybody else. We're the ridicule of the nations. I mean, that, that's what, they, you know, they are asking, where is your God? Here you are at the foot of a mountain, your leader's gone off, you're the derision of your enemies, And so they begin to conform to the world around them. And of course, Moses comments on their character. I have seen this people, or the Lord does, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. And Moses says, go down for your people, whom the Lord says to Moses, go down for your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, because they have corrupted themselves. So they're corrupt, They're going the wrong way, and it's pretty obvious. Because what the Israelites also think, and they were deceived into thinking, is that they were breaking loose from bondage. Isn't that a great phrase, that the people have broken loose? You know, I'm going to use that more with my children. The children have broken loose, (laughs) all right? We know what that means, don't we? They broke loose. And they think we're breaking loose from the bondage. But we're actually facing a great spiritual crisis. Because God was not only bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. He was bringing Egypt out of them. That was the problem. Too long in Egypt. And their hearts kept wanting to look back. And they've already articulated that. Remember the meat pots? Remember the, I mean, it's got to be bad when you start talking about gourds and cucumbers. Remember the cucumbers. But it was more than just missing certain restaurants being closed because of the plagues back in Egypt. It was really missing Egypt. And why God has them wandering for 40 years? To get the Egypt out of them. And so that when they go into the land of promise, when they cross the Jordan River into uh, uh, Jericho, there are only two people out of the now millions that make up Israel that have any recollection of it. The true house of bondage was not outside It wasn't, this is the God who is cramping our style. This is the God who is going to forsake us. Now our leader has run off. But the true house of bondage was within themselves. And it's clear that they got to a place where they were unwilling to give up their lives to follow the living God. Because it's really hard It's really hard because if they were to enter into the promised land, this indwelling rebellion would have to be rooted out and God was going to do that work in order to make a people for himself. You know, sometimes I think that when an evangelistic sermon has been given, sometimes we make it sound like, hey, come 
into a relationship with Jesus so that it is sunshine and lollipops. Now, it is life and life to the full. As John tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and as John says in his gospel in John chapter 10, it is to know Jesus is to know life and life to the full. But it's hard. The Christian life is the greatest adventure that you could ever embark upon, but it's an adventure. It's hard. This is why I love Pilgrim's Progress so much. It's not easy. The encouragement to press on is one that needs to be ever on our lips to one another. Keep on, brother. Keep on, sister. And so that when the Israelites talking, or Adventists, start talking about meat pots and cucumbers or whatever it is, you know, nobody listened to Moses. What it would really take is a fellow Israelite turning to their neighbor and saying, you know, I hear what you're saying. I miss the cucumbers too. But I'd rather be in the wilderness with God than back in Egypt without him. That's that's what they needed to understand. That redemption always leads to pilgrimage. Redemption always leads to pilgrimage. You're, You're set off on your journey. And it's hard, so when Christian comes, uh, wants to make his way to the wicket gate, when he's earnestly trying to pursue Jesus Christ and to come into a relationship with him and his wife and his children and his neighbors are all in his ear and he starts to run and they're all running alongside of him. And what does Christian do? He puts his fingers in his ears and just starts yelling, life, life, eternal life. Now who was Christian yelling at? himself. So I'd love to see you all around Birmingham with fingers in your ears running down the street, life, life, eternal life. We need to do that. But the Israelites didn't. So when Moses comes down off the mountain with Joshua, Joshua thinks that it's the sound of war in the camp. Can't tell whether it's the sound of victory or the sound of defeat. And Moses says, no, that's the sound of singing. And it's not a song that I recognize. I mean, think about that. That's organization. You know, I I love, they're still out there. You know, you go to the doctor's office or someplace like that, and there's always this picture of like a beautiful redwood, and underneath it, it says strength, and it has some quote to encourage you to be strong. Well, there was a psychiatrist several years ago that started his own company called Demotivators. And, uh, and it would, it would have, like, there was this beautiful, one of them was, the, it was this beautiful sort of snow-covered alpine peak and this huge uh, avalanche coming down. And it was breathtakingly beautiful, but a little bit frightening. And underneath of it, it said, uh, it said something like, um, um, we're in this together. It's amazing how a few snowflakes can cause an avalanche of destruction. But my favorite one is it has this, all the team members with their hands in the circle, and it says teamwork. None of us is as dumb as all of us. (laughs) And so they managed in a really short period of time to be like, I got a new song, and everybody learned it. They're singing it with one voice. 
It's a remarkable thing how their hearts were turned away from the Lord and how they found camaraderie in one another. And indeed, don't we all want to be surrounded with people who agree with us? I don't like friends who disagree with me, but we need them. We need them. But here, everybody had been duped. And, and I'm sure that there were pe- obviously there are people uh, in the camp who are like, this is a bad idea, this is not a good thing that's happening right now, but gosh, the wave is too strong. And, and, and I don't want to be on the outs with people. You know, the song's kind of catchy. And after all, the calf is representing the living God, and so we can kind of justify it. God will understand And so this song, it was not a cry for mercy. It was not a singing out for the deliverance from their sin. It was not a rejoicing in God's great work in bringing them out of Egypt. But it was a song of self-indulgence and a praise of the ways of the world. And when Moses saw it, now... This is a good, good thing to learn about leadership. When Moses was up on the mountain and God sees what is happening, right? Nothing escapes God's sight. And not only that, he heard exact, he quoted to Moses what Moses hadn't heard yet, but God heard it. And the Lord is angry. And Moses says, don't do anything. <laughs> Have mercy on them. Don't, don't do anything. But then Moses gets down the mountain and sees them and does what? God's right. (laughs) It's really bad. I shouldn't have said that. Um, And he throws down uh, the tablets. And it's not lost on me that uh, God made them and it was God's handwriting. And in your own sanctified imagination, can you imagine being able to see God's handwriting? What a remarkable thing. I mean, I mean we are, nobody writes letters anymore, but, but I, I try to. And, um, and if a loved one sends you something, you, you begin to identify their, their handwriting and, and you just know who it is that's speaking to you, even though you, you don't need to see the return, return address, you don't need to see the signature line, you know who it is. That's the way it was with it. There's no, we know whose signature that is. We know who wrote this. That's the hand of God. Because the people knew God and God knew them. And so Moses throws down uh, the two tablets and he stood in the gate of the camp. He stood at the edge. He wouldn't go in. And he said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And the sons of Levi all gathered around them and he says, get your swords. And then go Throughout the camp, each of you kill your brother, your companion, and your neighbor. Now, this is one of those bits of scripture that everybody is going to want to skip over. But I think it may be one of the most important things. This is intensely personal and it's intensely costly, if I can use poor grammar. 
Because it's not go and slay the infidels. What's, what's the command? Your brother, your dearest friend, and your neighbor. This is what it costs to restore the covenant with God. This is the extremity that has to be resorted to in order to purge God's people uh, of this Egyptness which has been retained. It costs something to bring people, God's people, back into relationship with Him. In our day and age, I think you'll agree with me, forgiveness can be cheap. And I think that we're learning that right now, that there's a difference between repentance and forgiveness and restoration. Like, and, and we can forgive one another all we want, but, but what God's talking about here with forgiveness is restoration. It's not just, I forgive you. It's, I forgive you, and now we're in relationship again. And the wonderful word that our liturgy uses is the remission of sins. Because to remit something is not just to see the sin and say, I forgive it. It's to take it away as if it never existed in the first place. But because God is a God of justice, it has to cost something. Right? Even in your own human relationships, when you forgive somebody and you restore the relationship, the cost normally falls upon you, doesn't it? Like you're the one who has to bear the brunt of, of the burden, and it's not enough to pretend as if it didn't happen. In fact, for restoration to occur, you have to embrace it. You have to call a thing what it is. You have to acknowledge it. And that's what's happening here. And even Moses says, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. Moses is willing to be taken out for the sake of his people. Blot me out. I'm willing to bear that cost. It's costly, and it's very personal. And many of us will read this and be horrified. But this scene is is nothing compared to that. That's the cost. As we're dancing and singing the song of self-indulgence and mocking the very Son of God, that's personal. Where God would give his own Son for those who don't deserve it. Who deserve to be blotted out And yet in his infinite love and mercy, 
God takes a story like this in Exodus 32 and says, look, I know this is extreme. Brother, companion, neighbor, but it's nothing compared to what I'm going to do for you. What I'm willing to give up in order to make you my people. That's what Exodus 32 is about. It's about Jesus. It's about the cost of redemption. Jesus bears the cost of our restoration. Jesus is slain in order that sin might be defeated and that we might be God's children, a holy nation, his people, bought with his blood. Well, that's Exodus. Um, And uh, I really do hope that you're able to go back and even maybe to listen to some of these and see Jesus is all over the place. Jesus is all over the place. And I don't think that it's a mistake that we get to the very end of Exodus and this is really the defining moment in the people of Israel uh, of, of God's people rebelling but God forgiving them. And later on, if you keep reading a little bit more, you'll see God renewing his covenant uh, with his people as he leads them uh, into uh, the promised land, which is still a ways to go. Uh, but, uh, but it's really important uh, for them and for us. Okay, questions, comments, concerns? your last chance to ask me a question. You can't email me next week. Yeah, Kelly. What's that? What's next for me? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, I, um, you know, the Lord's been really good to us uh, throughout our whole lives, and, um, you know, it really has been um, the greatest joy and privilege and honor uh, to to, to pastor you, um, but, but we feel like God is in this, and so um, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be talking about it a little bit more after, um, after I, I, I finish today. I am going to win the club championship by four shots. That is something I, and if I don't, I'll be furious. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think you go to Hebrews. So chapter 9 of Romans, uh, Paul talks about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And, of course, when you get into Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews talks about the hardening of the Israelites' heart in the day of the rebellion uh, when they uh, really began to quarrel. Um, So, I would look at Hebrews, and I think a lot of it has to do with what I was talking about earlier in in the need for us to spur one another on. Because the thing about a hardening heart is it doesn't happen overnight. So, if you've ever poured concrete, it's malleable for a while. 
Uh, but then once it's set, it's set. And I think people's hearts uh, are like that, biblically speaking. And so what we want to have by God's grace and by the power of his spirit is to have soft, concrete hearts. Now, we don't want like soupy, but you know, the kind you can write your name in or, you know, put your kids' uh, handprints in. That's the kind of heart that we want. But this is Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, he writes, quoting um, Psalm 95, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then he goes on, and then he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So there you go. It's as long as it's called today, you encourage one another on. You you press on. And in fact, I think it's easier for us to see the hardening of people's hearts than it is for us to see our own hardening. So I think that it's, it's incumbent upon us to say, you know, dear brother, dear sister, when I hear you say that, it really sounds like your heart is hardening. And as long as it's called today, don't do this. Don't, don't do this. Uh, because you're actually beginning to, I'm not going to get into this, but, um, you know, when you have a hard heart, it, your ability to receive much of anything is, is diminished. And, and you begin to assume that everybody's against you. Yes, Fran. Thank you, Fran. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much, Fran. I appreciate that. All right, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it really, um, it really is about Jesus. Full stop. Full stop. Thank you, Oscar. Did you want to say something? You, you can have the last word. Here, hold on. When uh, when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus uh, in chapter four, he says, speaking of Jesus. He who descended is also who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he, that is Jesus, gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood." Um, And uh, when I think about uh, Andrew's ministry here at the Advent, um, God gave Andrew to us as an evangelist, 
as a shepherd, truly, as a pastor, uh, and as a teacher. And there's a lot that could be said about Andrew, uh, positive, maybe negative. <laughs> um, but by, b- borrowing heavily from my brother Craig Ogard, uh, who said of Andrew, uh, the thing that defines Andrew to me is that while he was with us in this church, he took very, very seriously his job as our shepherd. Um, he was committed to shepherding, shepherding his flock as he was called to do. And so we, I personally am grateful that God gave Andrew to us and that he took so seriously that he had been given to us as an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher. Thank you, Oscar. Okay, well, let's pray. Oh, Lord, uh, some of us feel like we're in the wilderness right now. Uh, We don't know exactly where we're going, but we're going exactly where you want us to go. And so, Lord, we pray that um, our hearts would not be hardened, that we would not seek to sing a song of self-indulgence and worldliness, Uh, But, Lord, that we would be faithful to the call that you have on our lives. And as hard as it is, that we would remember life, life, eternal life. And, Lord, even when we do sin and we break the covenant that you have made with us, we pray that we would run unto Jesus, whose arm is never too short to save and whose grace is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.